Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to another edition of Around the Coin. My name is Faisal Khan and I have with me Mike Townsend. Mike, how are you? Fantastic. Doing great. Before we get started with the show, a few messages, if you will, and then we'll return back. The Remtech Awards are being held in Kuala Lumpur from May 8th to May 10th, and the IMTC EMEA, which is being held in Brussels this year, will be on 16th through 18th of May. I will be attending IMTC EMEA in Brussels, so if you're attending, please come and say hello. However, before that, I will be hosting the Innovation Jam of by Terminos in Abu Dhabi on the 15th of April. And on the 16th of April, we'll be moderating a panel on payments at Seamless in Dubai. If you're in either of the shows, please step forward and say hello. It's always nice to meet people. This podcast has been made possible by support from Terminos. Terminos is the top-tier core banking software provider to 41 of the top 50 financial institutions worldwide. Terminos has been guiding financial institutions towards their digital future for more than 20 years. Learn more at Terminos.com. Also supporting our podcast is Stellar. Stellar is a platform that connects banks, payment systems, and people. Integrate to move money quickly, reliably, and at almost no cost. For more information, visit Stellar.org. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R.org. For legal disclosure regarding this podcast, please review the message at the end of the show. Mike, how's it going? Great, man. Yeah, really enjoyed our pre-show conversation. Today is Easter Sunday, April Fools, and my one-year anniversary since getting engaged. And happy so, Passover. Pretty good day. And happy Passover. Yeah, happy Passover. Yep, yep. So for Brian's those- out today, spending some time with the family, but uh, we're going to be diving into the fragmented world of, of payments today. Got a few great subjects lined up. So, uh, just to start off with, you know, as you know, I travel a lot and I get to see a lot of things. One of the things I see a lot, you know, you, you, you asked in the last show, what is it that I keep seeing again and again and again? What I see again and again is that there is a world that is extremely connected when it comes to data, but it is extremely fragmented or fractured when it comes to payments, uh, which is really weird because... A person sitting in Papua New Guinea can send an email to any person on earth without even thinking twice. Uh, but the same cannot be said about payments. If you, let's say, Brian, uh, uh, sorry, Mike, wherever you are, and you walk into a room with 25 or 30 people, 
the one thing you know for sure is that you can exchange an email with them. Isn't that the fact? I mean, do you ever even think that you cannot exchange an email with them? Yeah, no, we're all using the same singular internet network. So, right. yeah, that's that's a given. And and But yet, if you had to change money with them, you don't even know where to start. Uh, do you take uh, PayPal? No, bro, I don't take PayPal. Okay, uh, uh, bank? Oh, no, bank is too expensive because it's... Um, uh, okay, you know, and so, so the, there is such a disconnect in the people you meet, especially if they're international people, that it's not even funny. And you, you think about it, that we are today connected you know, we can watch everything in the world. We can see our Uber ride, you know, meter by meter. We can track planes. We can track ships through the Suez Canal. We cannot track money. Once you send me money, there's no way, for example, if you were to do a wire transfer, if I do a wire transfer from, from myself to Mike, there is no way once they put the money in that black hole, so to speak, what happens down the chute. They don't. They can't tell me the money is now. You know, it's crossing the Atlantic. It's reached St. Louis. It's snaking its way down California. Oh, it's now in Mike's bank account. There's no way they can tell that. Even the institutions who manage it, we cannot track. So why? Why is that? That's so. Is that just? I mean, I'm picturing they're using the same electronics. I mean, they're using internally at the U.S. the 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 automated clearinghouse, the ACH system, which is you know, 30 years old or whatever it is. So they're, they're using the same transfer, uh, using the same protocols to banks internationally. Are they stopped because of manual review processes or is there just you know, built-in lag times that, that try to reduce fraud or some sort of security initiatives? It, it's because we have disparate systems. It's because there is interoperability issues. What do I mean by that? So let's take an example of how email was in maybe the early circa 1980s. You had CompuServe, you had uh, General Electric, you had BitNet, FidoNet, and so many other networks. And there was a there was a way how you had to send email from CompuServe to FidoNet or from DeckNet to, uh, I don't know, BitNet and so forth. There was no standard way until someone came and said, okay, enough is enough. We are going to make the SMTP, the simple mail transfer protocol. That's when the at-the-rate symbol came in, by the way. And now, mm. and now you have that protocol being the standard worldwide. Do you know, you remember Lotus Notes? No one uses it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah. uh, the other mail protocols? No one uses them. It's just email now. We don't even have a name yeah. for it. It's just email. That's it. Right? So it does seem, though, that, that, that in the U.S. at least, I think there's this bit of skepticism in that there is almost an overwhelming number of options to send money to people. I'm inundated with Venmo and Square Cash and PayPal and Skrill. And that, or, and that, you know, but that's assuming that, that, you, that the sender has access to all those platforms and that the receiver happens to be using one of them. That's also the assumption that you make. That's also assuming that you are talking to a banked person and not an underbanked or an unbanked person. So there are some assumptions that you make when you issue that that statement. The caveats are the finer nuances that you need to pay attention to. However, the United States happened to be one of the 220 plus countries and you know nations in the world, the sovereign nations in the world. So what happens with the rest of them? 
There are 1,900 payment systems in the world, if not more. I mean, when we, and we meaning my team, were doing this research, we stopped at 1,900, and we had pretty much covered all the major countries of the world. 1,900 payment systems. And, you know, banking was considered a payment system. Rather, like SWIFT was one payment system. Visa was one payment system. Uh, the MasterCard was one payment system, and so on and so forth. And then when we looked at, at how we could do payments between two entities, we started, you know, we started comparing, okay, can this person talk to that person? Turns out, if one entity needs to talk to another entity using only one hop, maximum one hop allowed, less than 3% of the world was connected. Less than 3 huh, Wow. Yeah, so they have to go through proxies is is that a is that a real i mean it, it, it's obviously a better world if everyone could exchange money between each other for free instantaneously across borders but do you think there's a over exaggeration of the benefits that would bring if that were true immediately with everyone today i mean how many people have a need to send money from california to ghana I, instantaneously i, I want or to is that it, I want to say, Where are use cases? Okay. I want to let everyone know that this is not a question that you and I had talked on pre-show, correct? Yeah, no, we hadn't. Okay, because I love this question. I have been searching <laughs> for an answer to this question for the last three years, and I believe I have found it. So the first thing is, and before we, I answer the question, I want to just give you a little bit of precedence, or rather set the stage, if you will. If I send an email to a person I meet randomly at a conference, and I meet you, Mike, and we exchange cards, and say, hold on, just let me send you an email, or, or let me WhatsApp you, blah, 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 you'll instantly get it. I did not, and you did not for once think, can we even exchange emails or are we incompatible in emails? No, we did not. Um, you may not be able to pronounce my name and like vice versa. I may not know where, are you in San Diego or San Antonio? Are they both in the same state? Where are they? You may not know about my geography and vice versa. But rest assured, email is email is email at the end of the day. It is going to go through. When I send you a presentation while we are, you know, discussing it, and it was a two megabyte presentation, I did not have to think about the cost of that presentation. I did not have to think, will he even get it? Because you say, yep, got it. And he opened it. That was it. And it was my presentation, two megabytes in full, in its entirety. Let's say there were 19 slides. You got 19 slides. And with the 19 slides, you got all the words intact. Let's do the same thing when we do it with money. So Mike, I don't know where you are, but we exchange. My first thing is to find out, can I even send money to you? I have to check. Now imagine we're doing this as an email. If I were to do this as an email, I would have to call my provider up and say, hey, um, so I'm on Gmail. Can I send my uh, email to Yahoo? He says, uh, actually, yes, you can. Um, but uh, okay. Uh, and when will I get there? Oh, we don't know. Okay, and how do I do it? Oh, well, you have to come to our branch first, fill out a couple of forms, submit your ID, etc., and then we'll send it over there, and we'll charge you $50 for it or $40 for it. No problem. I go to the branch, I give my ID, everything, and I pay the $40 fee. Uh, then I give them the message. Obviously, I have to send some message. They say, oh, no, 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 no. You can't do this. You have to write at least 10,000 words. I said, why do I have to write 10,000 words? He said, we have a minimum. You can't send anything less than 10,000 words. I say, you got to be kidding me. Seriously? 10,000 words? He say, absolutely. 10,000 words is the absolute minimum you have to send. So I go back. I write 10,000 words. I come back. I send it. 
I call up. I say, have you gotten it, Mike? He says, nope, haven't gotten it. I call my bank. I said, do you know where it is? He says, nope, we've sent it. And this happens for a day or two. Eventually, one day, you get a call from your email provider. Say, Mr. Mike, I've got an email from Faisal who sent it from Pakistan. I say, yes. Well, you need to come to our branch. What for? Well, we need to understand who you are and who Mr. Faisal is. Okay, fine. So you go there and, you know, you have to pay maybe $5 for it. And you finally get the, the, yeah. the, the much-needed 10,000 words I sent you. And guess what? It's 9,284 words. Well, I guess it's still better than the uh, sending a, a letter, maybe. Right, right. But, <laughs> but, 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 but that much better. But 9,284, he said, well, hold on, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Faisal sent me 10,000. What the hell is the rest? Oh, the correspondent bank took some, shaved some words out. The 19 slides that we had, well, it's only 18 and a quarter. And guess what? Where we are shaving the other, that that three quarters off, we don't tell you. How would you, uh, yeah, how would you react yeah. to that? Yeah, well, I guess I'd be complacent if that was the existing system <laughs> in place. But, but we fixed it's it, all, it's all we? People. But we fixed yeah. it, didn't we? But that's that's exactly the reality of sending money to you. So the question is, is there a need from California to Ghana? I would answer that question in a bit. But I want you to understand, this is not based on hearsay. This is based on me having gone from, uh, you know, like I say in my lectures and, and when I meet people, I've done this from the most posh areas of, let's say, Paris down to the shanty towns outside, you know, Dar es Salaam and Tanzania and everything in between. And what I have seen is that payments are extremely, extremely broken. There is a sea. There is a, I would not see. There is a swarm of people who are entrepreneurs. What they bring to the table is that they are in, uh, how do you say it? They are very, um, you know, they're always thinking how they can make money. And the only way they can make money is by providing a service, right? So if someone wants Mm -hmm. to work for Google, so let's take Google. Let's say I'm a person, uh, I'm living in Accra, Ghana, and I wake up every day. I'm very disciplined about how uh, internet is going to make me money. I put up a website, and this website is dedicated to the safari experience, uh, the travel and safari experiences in Africa. And every single day, I put up content on it. You know, slowly, traffic starts coming. I do SEO, everything else, etc. Traffic starts coming, and, you know, things are happening. Eventually, I qualify for Google AdWords, and I put Google Ads. At the end of every day, I make maybe $2, $3, $4, $5 of ad traffic. So at the end of the day, I'm making $5. And at the end of the working week, let's say, you know, some days are less, some days are more. Give or take, I make $25 for the week. That's not a bad income, $25 for the week. What's the problem? The problem is Google says, I can't send $25 to Accra, Ghana. Why? Well, because my bank charges me $30 just to do the wire transfer. So there's no some, way. Some critical <laughs> right? critical mass they have to reach for the, the transfer. And, and, that, and that number is 500 usually. So, I mean, it begs the obvious question, which is do we, do we even try to, I mean, as the expert in the space, do you see us realistically trying to fix this broken system or is no, crypto, crypto no. just going to displace so, uh, this? Where? Uh, I'll come to the crypto part. So, but, but think about it. This person has earned $25. It can probably put one week's worth of food on their table. And yet there is no way for him or her 
to receive the money because Google doesn't have the ability to pay that as such. Or Google and their Google's service provider, payment service provider, does not have the ability. Even if, if they had the ability to pay, it would be in a very inconvenient form. They say, oh, we can take a prepaid card that we issue or a wallet that we issue outside your country and we'll keep the money in dollars and every time you charge it, we'll charge you a ridiculously high fee for using that wallet although you know, the money is instantly transferred to your wallet and by the way we will make money on the balances we're holding on for you because you know because that's how they work so google has no way of paying out and this person has no way of receiving the money and google says until you don't get to the 500 dollar mark i will not even let you know let, let you get the money because after 500 i will charge you 25 dollars i will push the money out into your account and you will get it. How much you will get exactly into your account at what FX rate? Guess what? I can't even say. Even though in the law in the US there is a law known as the Regulation E uh, by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which says for person-to-person transfers, you have to let the the receiver know that the sender is sending exact amount, this amount. This is the fee. This is the FX rate, and this is how much will land into their account. But guess what? This is not a person-to-person transfer. It's a business-to-person transfer. So they, so they don't even have to follow the law. Now, a similar example is if you, um, you know, are, are, are a travel agent and you're you're living in, you know, let's say, you're a travel agent in Kathmandu, Nepal, and there's a couple that comes and say, hey, we want to go to Orlando, and you book the tickets for them. So they have a really nice time in Orlando, and guess what? You book them into the Marriott. Marriott owes you $37 worth of affiliate fees because you referred a customer, the customer paid, they did their thing. Marriott cannot pay $37 in travel affiliate fee to a travel agency in Kathmandu, Nepal because they don't have a way of doing so. Same problem as Google. So do you see hmm. how much money is held back or is being held yeah, back? Yeah, it's all, it's all the smaller trades, the things you wouldn't even think of. I think when we think of trading across borders it's typically you know i want to send faisal money directly but what you're saying is that there's there's whole networks that can't even exist they're not even above water because there's no way to send smaller transactions because in the international money transfer world cross-border we only deal in wholesale think about that for a second so then I mean that's awful. <laughs> that's we only just, deal with. I, mean, I, I have Im- imagine that, imagine going so into your local corner store and saying, "Ah, the missus wants a you know a pint of milk." Oh, I'm sorry, we only sell ten thousand gallons. I mean, think about yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's that's brutal. Right. Uh, but I mean, Vice, are you on the? Do you see any resistance to the idea of of joining the you know I guess conceptual bandwagon that just Bitcoin will. Drastically improve these things. I mean, so Bitcoin. We're, I mean, you know, we're, we're sitting here with another option that just is ten yes, times better. Yes, but but we're also sitting with 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 the option and the hurdles or the old establishment that is known as the banks, right? So we have to look at that particular uh, frame of reference, if you will, and then say it. You know, uh, someone you know uh, told me once. He says, you know, let the past die, kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. We can't let the past die because the past is actually the custodians of our money at this point in time. Uh, we we can't we can't do anything about it. But but that's how it is. Here's the thing, and this is a very interesting experiment that I do, uh, 
and everywhere I've gone, it's worked. If I were to ask you, how many transactions in your city or in your country, let's take city, city is easy, or in your state, that are over $100 every single day? Number of transactions. How many transactions I do no, not uh, you. that are no, over 100 in California? Not, no, not you. The state of California, how many transactions are conducted in the state of California that are over $100 every single day? Oh, God. Uh, uh, in the order of uh, uh, 1 million, uh, 100,000, somewhere in that range. Okay, so let's take 100,000. 100,000 is not a bad number. So if we take 100,000 transactions happen in California every single day that are over $100, and if you take the 100,000 and because it was $100, it was 100, what does that come out to be? 10 million? Uh, what's what's the value of that? If, if each transaction is worth $100. So it's, yeah, say, say 10, 10 million, $10 no, million. Dollars. Uh, yeah, $10 million, right? So $10 million. So do you think that the state of California only does $10 million worth of transactions every single day over $10? Over $100? Uh, you're making my guess sound low. I, I suppose the, <laughs> right? the moral so, is that so, there's a so ton maybe, more so maybe, transactions that are small exactly. than large. So let's, let, let, let's make that a million. So uh, $100 million a day would be more appropriate, correct? Yeah, that, that sounds right. So now the question is taking that 100,000 or the 100 or, or the million transactions a day. Let me ask you how many transactions between 0 and 99.99 in the state of California every single day. And that includes the $5 you pay for a burger, the gum, the cigarettes, a bottle of beer, 7-Eleven. Yeah, probably on the order of 100 times. 100 <laughs> times more. That 100 times more. Okay. So if we have 100 million, then we're going to go to 10 billion because that's 100 times more. Correct? Yeah, that's, that sounds right. Okay. We already know the amount for international for person-to-person transactions on an annual basis. It's 600 billion. It's a published number. And this is over $100. Internationally, if you want to send money from a person to another person, remittances as they're called, the World Bank and many other organizations and countries keep track of this thing, and that number is estimated to be somewhere around the $600 billion mark. But the world internationally, cross-border, cannot do transactions below $100. We already established that fact. Yeah, it's brutal. So there's basically a 99% of the market that is we're missing out on. <laughs> well, I suppose internationally you're less likely to. Eh, maybe it's not true, but I, I would so imagine, you're imagine more to do smaller transactions locally. Ima- imagine if you were so based on that 600 billion number. If I were to use your hundred time multiple, or shall I even reduce it and use a ten time multiple? It's still a six trillion dollar problem. Yeah, that's that's pretty significant. Right, uh, and, and here's the answer. The no, no, and here two things that you asked me: is it something that's like a low-hanging fruit? No, it's not even a low-hanging. This is fruit on the ground. There's no effort required to pick it up because low-hanging still needs to be plucked. There is inertia required mm-hmm. to get to that height to pluck it. This is low-hanging fruit. No, this is not. This is fruit on the ground. 
Right. When you let, say, let me ask you, do you, do you, do you see that the crypto is, is starting to um, enter this market? I mean, is this where the bucket of, of use cases are? Because there's, there's a bit of skepticism I see in, in Bitcoin, which is the number one is that where's the use cases? You know, I can, I can put money in, I can hold it, but in the U.S. you can do that easily. Internationally, are you seeing people just keeping their funds inside of Bitcoin, transacting internationally for free and instantaneously with as much money as they want? Um, displacing their local banks? It's it's a difficult question because Bitcoin's original motive, what it was, has changed. It's no longer a currency as such as it is a store of value, right? So it's more being treated like an asset or a commodity that you want to speculate on and keep it rather than a transactional currency. There are other units that are more, let's say... Um, uh, applicable for purposes such as like Stellar's XLM or you know Ripple's XRP or Litecoin or Ethereum in some cases etc. But but in most cases Bitcoin barring you know uh, there are currencies that can do this thing. But the, but the real problem is not that is the solution the Bitcoin. We're not talking about the solution right now. We're just talking about the problem. The problem itself is what happens when you do this. Based on the example we just said, if you just talk about person to person, there's a potential that we can have possibly $6 trillion worth of trade. This trade would be person to person, not even businesses. God knows how much the businesses will put in. But this this amount would actually increase the GDP size of the world by $6 trillion. Well, that's just a rough way of doing it, but it will. So I, you have to understand when it's like, you know, when email was invented, uh, how many emails do you send are native to California, and how many do you send that go out of California? Think, oh yeah, yeah. Think yeah. about that for a second. If, yeah, information is is just you know there's demand to have that from anywhere. Uh, I I think the immediate use case to send money to all over the world is probably lower. But as people start to make websites that they want to transact, I mean everyone individually can contribute to the value built on the internet. Whereas now you can't contribute in a micro sense yeah. if you're, you know, in certain countries. Do you, do you think, given the price of Bitcoin now at, you know, just over sixty five hundred, I think it's sub, uh, sorry, sixty five sixty five hundred dollars uh, or under seven thousand U.S. dollar per Bitcoin, is that an indicator that are you super bullish on prices skyrocketing back up because we see that, you know, it has to be true. That if, if what you're saying is true, that there is a you know 90% of the market uh, for cross borders internationally is untapped or hasn't even been you know email equivalent hasn't even been invented yet. We haven't really even started using Bitcoin effectively internationally. That the price must be undervalued. You, would you take that stance or no, no, I reject wouldn't. that stance? I wouldn't reject it. Can you go into your bank today if I give you a hundred thousand and get a, a cashier's check made? I, I guess. Okay. Uh, I've never tried. I, I'm sure. Also, at one point of note, my bank doesn't even have physical locations. I know. I know so you bank me, with USAA. Uh, but, but let's say yeah, but, I love you know, your, your significant other's bank or someone else, right? So you're, but, but a traditional bank, you could plonk 100000 and they'd make a cashier's check. How much would they charge you for it? No idea. Uh, 20 bucks. Yeah, dollar, 20 bucks, yeah. Okay, cool. And you could argue with them to leave the name on the front where the beneficiary name is put to be left blank. 
Okay, yeah. And that means anyone who holds that thing comes in, scribbles a name where the beneficiary name is supposed to be and shows a valid ID matching that name, the bank would have to cash that check, correct? Yeah, okay. So next day you come in and you plunk again an, another $100,000 which someone has you know given to you and you say to the cashier, to the teller, I don't want one check for 100000 I want 10 checks for $10,000 each. Theoretically speaking, they can do this for you. No issue. It just takes slightly longer. Maybe they'll charge you on a, on a wholesale price $15 per check and they'll make 150 bucks on it, right? Agreed? Yeah, I mean, the system just is so clearly broken. But to nah, me, it's like... But, we, but here's the best part. Third day, Mike walks in, plonks 100000 and says, Listen carefully, honey. I want 100,000 checks of $1 each. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I, if I, 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 I'm fully on board. I mean, there seems to be countless ways to express how broken, fragmented, expensive, and slow the existing rails are. I, I just keep getting like gravitationally pulled to the idea of how do we break <laughs> free of these shackles and and what is the pathway for you know for us so, as listeners, maybe entrepreneurs out there thinking like where can I help like explode my local market? Is it so finding a proxy if, for people to get their bank to if crypto? This, if this bank were to issue you the very same cashier's check, which by the way is an IOU in case you were wondering. It's an IOU by the bank because the bank owes you, right? And the bank is holding on to your money. If we could somehow agree that the bank would come up with an, a digital token, which is based on the same principle or the same premise that it's holding equivalent dollars in the back, there is no concept of, let's say, volatility in the price of the crypto. It's a token. It's $1 and now we have the $1 equivalent in, in digital form. Correct? Right, right. And now, if that token, it, can, it, it, and if that token can be traded worldwide, down to one cent, and it can only be cashed at that bank, we have a stable coin. It is not affected by inflation. Well, it's affected by the the whole inflation as such, but it's not affected by uh, trading because it's just a coin. It has a face value of one. Whatever it is, you buy it at one dollar and you sell it at one dollar. Uh huh. And that's right, what, and that's right. what's stable. In this case, Google can buy, or Google service provider can buy $37 worth of coins, send it across to a provider that they work in in Nigeria who will accept $37 worth of coin and do $37 worth of equivalent Naira credit into the bank account and hold on to the coins. And these coins can be traded. And if they ever accumulate, for example, 10,000 coins and they ever go back to the bank and sell it, they will always get 10000 back. Never less, never more. So the solution yeah, is that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see it as a proxy that banks will start to use? Do you see it as, a, will we see a USA digital coin and they'll exchange different digital coins at other banks in other countries? Or so, do, you think, so let's, do you think Ripple comes into play with that one? Yeah, I mean, see, Ripple is an issuer itself, right? But, but, but let's, take about, let's talk about a, a small bank. When a bank issues an IOU, and let's forget about international trade, let's just talk about domestic trade, that IOU is issued to someone with KYC, correct? They, they, they came in, right, they, right, they, right, they, yeah. and now Mike buys this IOU, Mike gives it to me, I give Mike a lawnmower, he sells, you know, and he hands me the payment, I decide to accept his, uh, you know, I decide to sell my lawnmower that you want to buy, 
and you give me the IOU and I take your IOU, I you know, exchange it with car tires, car tires to vacation, vacation to dog food, dog food to logo designing, logo designing to furniture making. And now the furniture making guy says, hey, I want the money. He walks into the store, in, into the bank, hands him his ID. They take all this information down and they cash the check. So Mike and the furniture guy are the only people that were known to the bank as far as KYC was concerned. Everyone else was no different than it was with cash, correct? In our case, the digital token can be made as such that whenever it goes from Mike's wallet to the guy who was selling the lawnmower, to the guy who was doing the dog walking or the logo designing, etc., etc., every wallet is identifiable. You can track in a semi-autonomous manner or in a semi uh, anonymous manner where the money went and when it comes for let's say in cashment you obviously have kyc so there are ways that banks can come into this this is what banking is all about it's making products and services for the industry that that they feel that there is a demand for and in some cases the demand is not there they make a product and the demand props up because suddenly people rea realize that this product can help me do this and this and this so I feel. Well, let me let me. Uh, can I ask you this and tell me where you see that I'm? Is that? Excuse me. You have this banking infrastructure now, which has been around for a millennium, you know, hundred plus years. You know, I'm sure far prior to that, in some form or another. But we have an electronic rail system that's used pretty ubiquitously throughout the world it's like you said it's it's broken it's slow it's highly regulated it's inefficient and, in every and, way possible and, and centralized and yeah. centralized right and and so i I'm, I'm struggling to believe that there's any way that the banking system remains relevant in you know the next generation the next wave of, of innovative payment uh, technology everything that the bank does why couldn't we build that on a decentralized network or having other you know maybe even web-based centralized services offer um, maybe escrow or you know, uh, any, anything banking does. If you, you go through the list of examples Do you know where the, they provide value, you can use decentralization and blockchain to, to provide that same value. Everything from storing my digital assets, which USA does now, you know, Bitcoin can do um, you know, for much cheaper loaning money or escrow or uh, providing, I guess, loans for me directly. I mean, where what's the thing that keeps bank in, banks in business? That, you know, going long term forward, or is there, or is there nothing? Are they just, you know, they're blockbuster on the way out. They're blockbuster in the year two thousand, where it's just we see it in the event horizon, but you know, it's just in the early days. So, in the thirteen hundreds and fourteen hundreds, the biggest industry. Can you name it? Yeah, uh, no, uh, farming. Uh, I, I suppose I farming was smaller. Actually, spoil, but. It, it it's pretty cool. it was spice spice trading spice trading people used to trade spices and they were nutmeg at one point in time was more expensive than gold if you can believe it yeah spice <laughs> trading you know and today obviously spice trading wouldn't even come in the top 10 of the uh, industries and trades and so forth but that's it things come things go we've held on to what is called the banking as quote unquote a system a system that is systematically tied into the rule of governance to diplomacy to wars to trade to finance to so many things it's not going to go away easy i will tell you that 
it's going to go away just not easy i have i derive my answer from a very unknown source or known source depending how you look at it some people laugh that's okay i let them laugh um you know but i believe if you look towards the future of how it was predicted by gene roddenberry there was no concept of banking and money there what wealth as we know it suddenly ceases to amuse you or hold a value the very minute you discover another planet or another species or another anything that is in a outside this planet so, so barring till that event banking i don't think so is just going to go down without a fight there are going to be you know you know the united states for every senator for every congressman and this is may come as a surprise for you there are five five paid lobbyists from the banking industry for every congressman in the united states well it's just that's just bad news for the us i mean i can see this being and a situation the same thing, where same thing everywhere else yeah same thing same thing in healthcare where maybe maybe the you know if you look at um, countries as as companies, and you're imagining from a strategic standpoint, if you're the leader of one of these countries, what what who takes the lead on this next wave? And I can't imagine that China or you know the U.S. to some extent is better. China seems to have a, a ban first mentality, but there'll be countries that, regardless of size, which is a beautiful thing, they can take stances that make them so much more attractive from an entrepreneur standpoint that maybe people just start moving there. I mean, maybe you have this giant immigration uh, of, you know, you have, yeah, you have the giant immigration of, you know, the world leading cryptographers moving to, you know, New Zealand because New Zealand decides to take laws that are incredibly open. So now you have this, you know, Silicon Valley 2.0 is going to be in, you know, uh, Auckland, New Zealand because they, they allow people to come in. I mean, to me, it just seems like that, is going to be true. I mean, you see uh, Binance, the CEO of Binance, and, and his team moved to Japan out of China because of China's rules. And it's not going to stop Binance, and, and right? It's not going to stop movement. Right, exactly. So I'm, I'm thinking, like, there maybe that's just the beginning of the end for U.S. If we don't adopt this rip-the-band-aid-off mentality, then we're just going to drag ourselves in the mud, which, you know, that's, that's the U.S.'s prerogative. Well, um, I mean, U.S. is one country, right? I mean, the overall there are others. There are others. But, you know, the funny thing is every now and then, 10, 20, 15, 20 years, a technological, um, I don't know, something happens where the racetrack, everyone is reset to zero. There is no United States ahead of China, ahead of Japan, ahead of Russia, ahead of India, ahead of Philippines. Everyone is in the same race. Blockchain was one of those. Crypto was one of those. What what literally ails me is the fact that you have countries that can now leap forward in this because they've been given the same level playing field as the United States, as Germany, as UK, China, India, Japan, Russia, and yet they choose to ignore it. So I, I feel you're right. Japan is now going to become crypto-friendly. There are 16 exchanges that are on the horizon already working. 16 on the horizon. 100 plus that will be coming up later on. And they will not say we will touch the US dollar in fear of getting banned by the US or touch the, you know, the euro or the British pound. They say, oh, no, 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 no. We only accept Japanese yen. What will that do? 
Well, first of all, it's going to bring a lot of direct foreign investment into Japan because the Japanese yen will be in demand. And then they will convert all their money into Japanese yen into crypto and then. So I feel mm. that they're going to have a huge thing on this thing. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask, what, uh, shifting gears a little bit, what is the the recent downturn, the great sell-off as we talked about pre-show? The Bitcoin price has dropped you know, from, I think, a, a, you know all-time high of close to 20000 down to 5800 at its lowest recently. Um, what do you view as the, the, the pulls for that price shift? And uh, two, do you see any pulling the other way? Yeah, two things. I think I, I, investor fatigue, right? So you hold on to the money, and I think you say, okay, you know what? Enough of it. I need to I need to liquidate. And I think there's a lot of investor fatigue going on. So people have been holding on to various forms of coins. Those coins them in themselves cannot be sold, or even if they are sold, they're sold for Ethereum or Bitcoin. And then you go and sell the Bitcoin for fiat. So this is driving prices down. So I think there's a lot of exit happening in the market. And second, with that exit, in conjunction with what is happening with the regulations and the banning of the Facebook ads and so forth. And, you know, MailChimp will not allow any mail spam to go out with the word ICO in it, etc., etc. I think it's just exaggerating the whole situation. And, and, and it's, it's, it's acting as a negative catalyst. It'll go, it'll finish, it'll deplete itself, and then maybe it will rebuild. And I think, I, I'm pretty sure it will rebuild. But I think it's going to go, the squall period, the period of the storm is going to be what it is. If it's six months, it's six months, nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that there's a, a thesis, antithesis, and synthesis going on, uh, which is, you know, there, there's an initial proposition in the market, which is, you know, as people imagine all these infinite use cases, there is just this overexcitement in the market. Prices skyrocket. <clears throat> we realize that we're actually in the year 1998 of the internet, building protocols, scaling to more than you know 15 transactions per second on Ethereum and blockchain remains difficult to this day. Then everyone's like, "Oh, uh, let's hold back." You know, uh, it's it's that's not about the pop. We're in the you know kind of dot dot com excitement level. Uh, and we're probably in the, the antithesis, which is the reaction to the initial momentum. And it'll probably settle somewhere in the middle for a while. Uh, I would hope. I think that's probably a, a good thing. Then, you know, <laughs> did, did, did you, you want some shift, some reaction in the market, but you don't want, you know, uh, continued volatility for extended period of time. I think someone, uh, someone just said amen because you know, they, they bought Bitcoin at 15000 <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there will be. I mean, I look at it and, and think there's there's overall close to net zero contribution here. I mean, where there's, you know, people who have made Lambo money have gotten it from other people who have you know contributed at uh, high prices. So, uh, which side note, I saw Ripple donated uh, close to thirty million dollars to everyone on a crowdfunding website for uh, disease, diseases. Um, I forgot what it was. Uh, but they they made an incredible donation, which I thought yeah. was an amazing use of funds. I don't know if you had seen that, uh, but I want to make the other point that there was in the dot com boom, there was a early institutional investor tsunami which drove up prices, and then retail followed on. You know, individuals uh, who bought into public stocks after the IPO. Here, it's the exact opposite. Actually, crypto and retail and speculative speculative interests are the one driving up early prices and now you see these these aggregators whether it's a crypto hedge fund uh or digital funds that are getting together 
and they're they're the follow-on. So investors, institutional investors, are the follow-on to the uh, to the initial speculative interest. And I think that that's a interesting flip if you consider the implications of that. Mm. That the, the the ones driving up price were the the individuals. I mean, so I think now there's there's probably going to be a lot more money coming into the market because you have this these larger rails. Um, so in the short term, I'm, I'm pretty bullish. I still see it as a, a you know buy low scenario at this point. Well, I think I think you know in the coming months, uh, everyone has been predicting that maybe the first six months of the year are going to be harsh, and the second six months are going to be more greener pastures, if you will. But we'll see. I think these are very exciting times. We keep saying that every show, but it just gets more exciting every time more you know <laughs> as, as, yeah. as the months go right you know go by. But uh, let's see. We'll keep in touch, and you know, we'll we'll keep a, a finger on the pulse and see what went right and what went wrong. All right, man. Well, um, hey, have a great day today, and I really enjoyed this 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 episode. Sure thing. We'll have to stop, and then we'll speak next week. Thank you, and bye bye. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the hosts, co-hosts, and guests appearing on the show, and do not necessarily reflect the view of the owners and producers of the show. Paid advertisements in form of audio announcements may appear throughout the show, including this one. Advertising can also include print and other digital formats. The owners and producers of Around the Coin do not endorse or evaluate the advertised product, service, or company, nor any of the claims made by the advertisement. All programs are subject to a one-time charge for professional editing fees, for which the interviewing guest or guests may have contributed towards. The owners, producers, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on the show are not financial advisors. Any investment advice or opinion cited during the show is for information purposes only. None of the content is intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. If you believe there's been any violation of your copyright, trademark, service mark, or any other type of intellectual property, please inform us in writing by sending an email to legal at aroundthecoin.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.